Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Micah Green, who is the founder and CEO of MadeBot. He's also a Teal Fellow in the Forbes 30 Under 30. MadeBot is a robotics company on a mission to bridge the gap between humans and robots, starting with the world's first housekeeping robot for hotels. In this episode, we go through how Micah started this company at age 19. He ended up dropping out of Cornell to do so, how he grew this, how he found investors early on, angel investors in a seed round and beyond, now looking to raise their Series B, getting close to that. We go through all the fundraising side. We go through building a team, creating a product, getting your first customers, all of that and much, much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and a review. And lastly, the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Micah Green, founder and CEO of MadeBot. Micah, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, and your story, just doing a little bit of research on it and starting so young with MadeBot is incredible, it looks like. And I want to start in the beginning. You're, you're in college and you drop out to start this company. Take me through the beginning of MadeBot. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you covered it at the high level, basically. <laughs> um, going back a little bit, I, I've been starting companies since the age of seven, uh, much, much smaller scale, uh, but knew from a very young age that that's why I'm here and what I'm really passionate about. Um, so we wanted to pursue that at the same time did robotics as part of a competition in high school, uh, and then essentially realized that that was the next wave that's really going to change everything. So I uh, ended up going to school for business, um, and it was the school of business at Cornell University, but actually uh, under the hospitality management program. Um, so, you know, really good foundation for business, but also with the hospitality focus. Uh, and as part of that program, we have to work as housekeepers or room attendants in the hotel. Um, so really, that was the aha moment was after literally just an eight hour shift, just realizing really quickly that the industry and, and operations have been stagnant for literally hundreds of years. Uh, <laughs> there are huge problems on the labor side of things in terms of uh, shortages and just, you know, also the injuries involved in the role. Uh, so saw a huge opportunity to bring robotics to housekeeping uh, and then even beyond commercial cleaning. So uh, that's how we essentially got started. And started to use uh, some Cornell resources and accelerator programs uh, and really hit the ground running with some prototyping. That's awesome. And we're definitely going to dig into that. But real quick, with with the starting business since, businesses since seven years old, like what were some of those ventures? I'm just curious about that for perspective. Yeah, for sure. So the first one was just selling stuff out of my basement to neighbors using cuteness to my advantage. <laughs> nice. um, and then after that evolved into uh, like video editing services. So I did like wedding videos and vacation videos. Uh, which is probably like the best business, um, you know, in terms of like cash flow and actually being a business. And then uh, started a smartphone app, a game called Shark Puncher um, in high school. So those are kind of the main ones. And with that too, I, I asked because I'm always curious that people who are starting businesses are thinking about it. What was the draw for you uh, of starting businesses even like at a young age? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think there are a couple of factors. I think the freedom of like being able to do what I wanted and, and having the control there. Uh, and also building something from nothing. Like that was a big theme. Uh, it was just like, you know, you can take this idea and create it however you'd like. Uh, and especially like an, as an analogy, when you're editing videos for weddings and whatnot, you're creating something from nothing. You're, you know, 
capturing the video, you're actually creating the video. Um, and same with like a robot, you know, that you're building. So I think that was the main theme was just this idea of like really having control and freedom to build something from nothing the way that I saw it in my head. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, then starting something from nothing, Madebot, you have this idea that comes from your experience of like, oh, there's always clearly this gap, this need in the industry to to help people out. And this type of thing, like a, a robot to then help clean is going to be the solution. When you have this idea, what were some of the first things you did to actually kind of make, make progress on this and turn this into an actual company then? Yeah, totally. So uh, so first was definitely the customer discovery side of things. So first of all, I, you know, I never really worked as a housekeeper before that eight hour shift. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I went in like, oh, this is totally broken. But was it totally broken? <laughs> uh, it was, but, you know, I wanted to validate that. So I actually kept working as a room attendant for months, uh, just on the side and uh, kept working on, as one at that specific hotel. Uh, and started interviewing the room attendants, like getting their perspective on things. And, you know, what do you see as the challenges and issues there? Uh, and then talking to the management on site and then eventually talking to alumni that were, you know, uh, at Cornell and then now are executives or, you know, doing other things in hospitality. So, um, so really gathered a lot of info from them to get their perspective. Uh, and that's where I started to really uncover these big problems, uh, which, you know, ended up being the number one was this labor crisis. Uh, where there was literally a million open positions in hospitality alone in the U.S. pre-COVID. Um, so really, that's something that, you know, saw as a huge opportunity. And uh, that was definitely the first phase for a few months was just really getting that research, validating that there's a problem. And then, you know, eventually taking that and saying, OK, robotics makes a lot of sense for this, uh, for dull, dirty and dangerous, which housekeeping is not just one or two, but all three of those traits. Um, so how do we actually build something? you know, to solve this? Like, what do we want to tackle first? Uh, and we actually ended up starting with a bed making robot as the concept. Uh, we started to realize after doing more research and development, <laughs> uh, that was going to cost millions of dollars and take many, many, many years uh, to bring to market. So we wanted to start somewhere that was, um, you know, could get our foot in the door sooner, and then we could evolve into other more complex projects. So that's where we landed. We did time studies. Uh, in the, you know, actual hotel and when I was working, when I was shadowing other room attendants, uh, and that's where we landed on floor cleaning as being the next best uh, in terms of time savings and feasibility. That's awesome. And, and such a need then, because to the point of the, the making of beds, I could see how complex that would be to make like, mm -hmm. a robot do that. And what's the actual return and everything. And you mentioned yeah. repeatedly, we, like, who was the team at the beginning there when you get, getting started? Yeah, for sure. So um, I got some, so initially it was just me for the first few months, like the customer discovery, but uh, but then was able to recruit some really solid uh, Cornell engineering students. Um, so so that was actually a caveat for one of the accelerator programs that we were part of was great idea. Sounds great. You know, you're in if you can get a team. So I was like, okay, great. <laughs> Career day is coming up. So as part of the startup section, was able to participate for free. I uh, had to put a banner together quickly and then uh, found some Cornell engineering students who were really excited and wanted to experience what it was like to start a company and uh, had the expertise to help bring, you know, a robot to life. Yeah. And then early on with that, having the team established and making that progress and after you had kind of done some customer discovery to, to validate that, this idea, then where on the capital side of this did, did the funding come from initially? Because obviously it's a robot company and you have people yeah. uh, as well. Like, how did you fund it initially then? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So 
Uh, so initially we got a grant as part of the accelerator program. It was a whopping $2,500, which at the beginning was whopping, very helpful. <laughs> Good start. Uh, yep. A couple of prototypes and we had access to, you know, with free office space. Uh, we had access to like 3D printers and tools. So it was great. It really got us up and running on the prototyping side. Uh, and then, you know, the idea with these students was, look, we don't have capital. No one's getting paid yet. But if we raise X number of dollars, like maybe 150000 or 200000 uh, then you'll get paid Y. So it's kind of this like, you know, um, consulting agreement depending on the funding. Uh, yeah. But people knew that there's definitely a, you know, probability that um, they might not get paid. So anyway, uh, throughout the summer, it was just using that 2,500. And then towards the end of the summer, uh, this is back in 2015, um, we, I started getting in touch with different alumni that I'd met at events at Cornell. Uh, so, you know, I met them at multiple events and, uh, spent, you know, three to six months keeping them up to date, doing uh, kind of like monthly updates and it started as weekly updates actually. And now it's <laughs> monthly uh, to give them, you know, big updates on what was going on, the progress, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, and the asks. And then um, basically a couple of them were like, look, you know, it sounds like you're raising soon, definitely interested. Uh, and then a couple, you know, alumni came in really early, which was fantastic. And then uh, one of them put me in touch with somebody else who's in the commercial cleaning industry uh, who ended up coming as well. So it was like an angel round uh, as our first initial race, um, you know, and it was like in the lower six figures, uh, but got us up and running. And then, you know, essentially from there, built out more prototypes, more validation on signing contracts with groups, and then uh, eventually was able to raise like a pre-seed round and go from there. That's that's awesome. And with that then, so early on, you, you raised that kind of initial round of funding, which actually you actually have money to then to, to really build this thing out in, in kind of the early stages. From there, I, take me to take me through how you got to the point of then being a Teal Fellow uh, and eventually dropping out of, of Cornell to really pursue this full time. Yeah, for sure. So so first was actually dropping out before I became a Teal Fellow. So um, so that was actually August of 2015, towards the end of that summer. Um, and basically, I, I went to my parents. I was like, "Hey, I I think I should uh, drop out." Like, yeah, very funny. Uh, I was like, "No, seriously." I think oh, really? <laughs> I, think I really need to leave school um, to really pursue this. And they're like, "Well, we're really excited about this, but you know, let's maybe one more year." My mom was like, because she also went to the same school. She went to the hotel school at Cornell. Just just one more year. You're gonna learn everything <laughs> you need to know in, in that second year. And I was like, "Yeah." Um, so I ended up going to the uh, career services or actually I think it was like admissions office where I had an advisor um, and basically went and you know, he was just like, look, my job is to keep you in school, to keep you here, it's to help you, you know, prosper at Cornell, but you got to do this. Like, what's the worst case? Um, and that was the eye opening moment where it's like, oh, what is the worst case? Like, OK, I can take a leave of absence. So technically still you know, enrolled and can come back within five years uh, and pick up where I left off. Um, so yeah, why, why not? You know, what's the worst case scenario? It wasn't that bad. The school is still going to be there. Um, so ended up, you know, realizing that there was a good opportunity there. And then, you know, basically we had a couple, uh, really, um, experienced engineers who joined the team, uh, as well as the funding in place. So we kind of had these two big milestones hit in August, uh, or like August, September timeframe. And that was when I went back to my parents and said, look, you know, even Cornell is telling me to take some time to give you a leave of absence. <laughs> Worst case scenario, I can go back. And we have these two, you know, we have the financial side and a couple of really uh, smart team members uh, joining to help bring this to reality. So that was the point where we talked about it and they're like, all right, let's do it. You know, go for it. So 
uh, so yeah, my parents have been super supportive um, and just great at, at helping me make this come true. Yeah, and you go you go from there then, and then so that you dropped out in two thousand and fifteen, and this this Teal Fellowship, like, is it was it something that they kind of came to you? Did you like? How did it come on your radar even to do this? And what was kind of the, the benefit of that in the first place? Yeah, for sure. So so I'd heard about it you know years before, and then I actually applied uh, three times and got rejected each time. Um, <laughs> and I I think I applied once with the app, the Shark Punch app, that was a couple of years prior. And then uh, then I started applying for Maybot. And uh, I think they just had me in the records and stayed in touch. And then uh, they invite you to like a retreat or like a summit um for finalists so so i ended up going down that path and finally on the fourth year which i believe was 2017 actually um that i that i got it uh went for the finals went to interview and then uh you know received notice that i got it so i think you know really it was something that i saw as super helpful in terms of uh you know mentorship but also the community i think that's been the biggest value for me has been meeting just exceptional entrepreneurs that uh, are much smarter than I am um, <laughs> and in many different fields and, and can really like help me grow and also relate to the issues I'm dealing with, right? So, you know, it can be really tough for a young founder uh, to raise capital. Like it seems like, oh, sexy and like, oh, looking for the next Mark Zuckerberg. But really, it can be really difficult when you don't have three acquisitions under your belt or, you know, a, a long track record. So things like that uh, were really helpful. And uh, it's been great, you know, part of the family since then. And and to that point of being young and raising capital, I mean, what has helped in terms of like what what advice or what things in particular, if anyone else is out there kind of raising capital is also uh, younger and kind of initially getting started, like what has been helpful, anything in particular as you're fundraising, you know, as a 19, 20, uh, 20 plus year old kid right now? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I'd say, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of advice I received on it, but there's one statement that someone told me that I think has been the most helpful. Um, and it was basically, if you want money or if you want advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. Um, <laughs> you know, and basically this idea of like build a relationship, right? Like this, this premise of, you know, it takes time. It's not going to be like a weak thing. And, and sometimes you can pitch and if you have like others already on board, you know, it could be really quick, but Overall, it could take three, six, maybe even nine months uh, to raise that. And for our, our first angel round with angel investors, uh, I had been speaking to a couple of those angels for six months and built that relationship and showed them updates and asked for their advice. And, you know, eventually it got to that point where I could more directly be like, okay, we're raising money. Are you interested? So, um, so that to me has been hugely valuable and just, you know, thinking through future raises. Um, and then in general, like it's really early on, especially I'd say it's about the team. You know, and, and I had the background in the hospitality side um, and more of that business mindset, but, you know, putting together a really strong team, even small of uh, we had, you know, software engineer came from who actually dropped out of his PhD program from Cornell. Uh, we had our CTO who um, came as like a staff member from Georgia Tech, um, and then he brought one of his former students uh, with him as well. So, you know, really got this strong dynamic, even if it was just the four of us to start uh, to build off of on the engineering front. Yeah. And one thing, Micah, that I, I just want to go back to, because I think it's really important. You convinced a bunch of smart people to join you on this mission to build MadeBot. What was the pitch to do so? Why do you think they ended up choosing to work with you and MadeBot? Um, I bribed them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, that's a really good question, honestly. I think, 
Um, I think it was a couple of things. I think for one, all of them kind of came from academia, whether they did like masters or PhD or like were, were working at a university. So I think all, all of those, you know, initial team members uh, were really in this mindset of like, it would be great to get into commercial setting, you know, to actually get into the um, uh, business world per se and like build something out there um, outside of like the academic um you know, infrastructure. So yeah. I think that was part of it was just, they were really interested in expanding their horizons there. Um, and then I think just like really having proof that there is a need here, um, having the proof that like people had signed LOIs, you know, clients had signed like letters of intent and uh, other sort of you know initial documents to prove that there's interest. And these were from big brands uh, as well. So I think combination of like proof of the market and then the excitement of getting into this industry and, and actually creating this industry, not just the product, not just the company, but literally building an industry uh, is really exciting. Yeah, I think that would be a huge, a huge draw. And obviously you were able to get people to join you because of that. And there's a couple of things that I want to discuss, but one thing in particular is the product itself. So I would love to hear more about how you've developed the the first product here with with Madebot, uh, and, and like what have been the challenges with that too along the way. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so once we finally landed on the you know we want to focus on floor cleaning for commercial spaces, uh, then we started thinking about the design requirements, right? Of okay, what's the use case? How are the users going to be interacting? Um, and then thinking through like what are the best areas that we want to cover. Uh, so one of the first questions we asked is, okay, what, what are the specific areas, right? And really the, the place we wanted to start was hotel guest rooms. Um, and they were actually the most difficult space in commercial real estate that we can think of, given all the furniture, the, the restricted areas. But we figured if we could accomplish a hotel guest room, we could accomplish almost anywhere else, right? Whether it's a hallway or meeting space or bigger, larger space. Um, so that's where we ended up starting with like a smaller form factor robot. Um, because, you know, there are other groups that are doing much larger kind of like mini Samboni robots, um, which are great for like huge open spaces, like a shopping mall or a grocery store. But when it comes to more restricted areas, which there are many in commercial real estate, um, you know, being smaller allows you to actually cover the entire area. Uh, yeah. So we took that fundamental approach of like, how do we actually solve floor cleaning? Uh, let's start small and then actually have multiple robots work together and act as one first one large one that can only get to some areas. Um, so that was one of the first decisions. Then we went through the like drive mechanisms and uh, approaching it that way. And then thinking through, okay, how big is the furniture? You know, we took a lot of samples. Uh, and then luckily there's actually a, um, a hotel in downtown Ithaca, right off of Cornell's campus. Uh, and it was a mock, they had a mock hotel room uh, because they were building the hotel, but they wanted like a mock hotel room for the owner to see first uh, before they proceed it. So they, we had a relationship with them, uh, luckily, and they let us use that space. That's um, so we, we had that to test and iterate and get feedback. And, um, and yeah, just basically, you know, hit the ground running from there and did most of the design, pretty much all of the design in house minus, you know, getting like uh, sensors off the shelf and uh, certain motors, but um, took it from there. How long did the, the first prototype take to get from idea phase to really just actually having this prototype that could be used and actually do the job? Yeah, so I think the first prototype came in weeks, but that definitely didn't do the job. Uh, <laughs> it was like the first, okay, what type of wheels do we want to use? What type of, you know, how big and that sort of thing. Uh, it took about three months, I'd say, to get the initial actual like works like model. 
Um, and I think that even includes the, uh, the industrial design. We worked with an outside firm uh, that gave us a great deal to, to basically build out um, the industrial design of the functional version. So I think in about three to four months, we had the works like looks like model. Uh, and then of course, iterated many times from there. Oh, of course, of course. And then with that too, like thinking through the product side of it. So the product side of it and the vision is how you sell the customers and acquiring a customer. You said you had some LOIs. How did you get, at what point did you get the first kind of LOI along this process? I'm curious about that. Yeah, for sure. So I would say before we really had any person, um, <laughs> we had, you know, the, the students at Cornell uh, put together a, um, a definitely a prototype is pretty wiry and not the prettiest thing in the world. Um, but it, it proved that like we could clean and whatnot. So, but even before then, I think we started to get some LOIs in place, which was great. Uh, I think it was just like, you know, we had renderings that we could show. We had, you know, the, the understanding of the operations and a really clear story of the use case and use of the robot. So, uh, that's when we, you know, I'd say literally just a couple of months after we got started and in the summer of 2015, um, is when we really had the, you know, first like contracts in place. Yeah. And then getting to the point of going from those kind of first contracts, to then delivering like the first robots to actually have people use them in their, in their hotel. Like when was that? And like, take me through like, even like that process of getting to that point of you're fine. They have these working in, in these hotels. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, use that mock hotel room as the first use case, like us as the user, um, and did that for a while. And then, uh, and then we did some testing at the Statler Hotel, which is on Cornell's campus, where I shadowed uh, the room attendants and worked as one. Um, and then I'd say from there, it definitely took a little while to get a unit that we felt comfortable putting in the hands of users. Even then, it was like still a little uncomfortable, of like, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, knowing that it was a prototype. So uh, I'd say we got our first units into the hands of users at the end of 2016. Um, okay. So it was about like a year. Uh, before we fully deployed um, in a property. That's amazing. And, and from there, so you had the first one in maybe around around a year then, like what was kind of the growth strategy of, of getting these in into more hotels, more properties um, as you kind of went on, you know, past that first year mark, how did you acquire new customers then? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so really, you know, the nice thing about being a part of that hotel school was just the alumni network. Uh, so I'd either ask like professors or, or mentors of mine for introductions or um, just people were thinking about robotics or came up in conversations or roundtables and then I got introduced there. So it was this really strong network effect through that alumni network uh, and just a, in general in the industry where I started getting introduced. So, you know, we've never done outbound sales before. Um, everything's been through our website just because people see like articles or find us in Google um, or, you know, through introduction. So. You know, it's all been inbound, which is great. So that's just been the strategy. And I think eventually we'll, we'll definitely be a little more aggressive and active <laughs> on that front. But uh, it you know, set up many, many contracts and uh, many robots to be signed for. And, uh, and then, you know, in conjunction, our team was really working on iterations of the robot and uh, scaling that up. So, um, so yeah, it's this kind of like parallel process there. Yeah. And one thing I just to jump forward a bit then, you you start in that first year, get you get to the point of having this this robot in in a hotel actually, and then today, like twenty twenty, end of July, early August twenty twenty, here, like what kind of traction have you achieved now in the in the few years since you started in, in two thousand fifteen? Yeah, for sure. So I uh, can't necessarily share all the details, but we're in the order of like hundreds of robots that are signed for, 
uh, many robots deployed um, in multiple states or in the US right now only, but, uh, but deployed in multiple states and then we'll scale into other regions as well. Um, and yeah, we're working with the biggest brands in the world. Um, so can't share the names, but sure. you, know, you can imagine the biggest hotel brands, uh, the biggest commercial cleaning companies in the world that service office space and airports we've signed up. Um, and then we're, we're also partnered with some really great uh, ownership and management companies in hospitality who actually like franchise these brands uh, and operate them. So, um, so that's been the model has really been focusing on those groups rather than like the big, bigger brands that might honestly be a bit slower. Um, but yeah, we've, you know, locked them down. So uh, really have, you know, the, the dream set of clients and partners <laughs> and really looked at like, okay, which ge you know, geographically speaking, where do we want to start? So we started in Texas, uh, here in Austin, where we're based, then uh, branching out to like Houston and Dallas and then Denver. Um, and basically, you know, saw a lot of traction there and, and saw opportunity to grow into these markets as well as uh, sign up groups in other markets. Yeah. And with that, Micah, how do you, how do you look at kind of expansion in terms of which markets to, to go into or which even, you know, companies to pursue? I'm really curious about how you're looking at strategically, which ones to, to go after, or is it more of like, we have, we have contacts here, so let's go there. How does that work for, for you guys? Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely changed. Uh, first is like, okay, anybody who wants to deal, let's <laughs> talk to them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just starting like, let's, let's do it. Uh, and now it's been a lot more focused of like, all right, let's look geographically, right? So let's start in these regions, more like the South, um, basically, just given that it's robotics, it's a hardware company, support uh, more concentration in these markets. Um, and then in terms of verticals, you know, hotels were the place to start, given the background, the relationships I had, uh, and the true need that we saw and, and knew existed there. Um, and then we started to get outreach from like commercial cleaning companies and started getting introduced to these groups that do you know, everything from like stadiums to office space to airports to retail. Uh, and then started thinking about, okay, wow, this product is essentially a self-driving car um, and can be applied to many different environments, essentially any environment. Um, so how do we want to prioritize those? And that's where we started seeing like office space as being a really good place, given the structure of the building, um, the amount of office space in the world and, and just opportunity there. And the fact that, you know, the clients are coming and saying, okay, this is where we'd want to start. And then we could expand into other areas as well. So, um, so yeah, that helped us kind of prioritize office space as number two. Uh, and then, you know, these other verticals. And, and now what's interesting is with COVID, we've been getting outreach from other groups that we knew were on the list, but we're lower <laughs> down in terms of, you know, like just realize that we need to stay focused and not try and do everything at once. Uh, but assistive living facilities have reached out to us uh, and healthcare. So, you know, we've seen that there's this really interesting dynamic of every real estate property needs to be clean. <laughs> uh, but given what's going on, it, it impacts like how often and uh, the standards the guests expect or the residents or whoever's there. So, um, so yeah, it's just interesting to see that dynamic. And I think as we work through COVID and, and think about that, you know, we might evolve that strategy a bit as well. Yeah, and it's just a strange time with COVID and how businesses are changing and expanding. And so there's different needs constantly now. And who knows how this is going to play out in the next uh, you know, six months, year, two years, and beyond. And and one thing to go back to the product side of things, as you mentioned kind of early on and uh, that side of it, I'm curious as to like where the product is at today, like where the robot's at today and like what with that. So in terms of like where they're at right now, like are there any challenges on the manufacturing side and like advances with, with the technology? I'm curious about the product itself. Yeah, totally. So 
so yeah, in terms of today, we've been able to produce units with our contract manufacturing partner uh, out in China. Um, so we produce hundreds of units with them um, to start. And then right now we're actually working. We've, we've taken this time as a company to really focus on product development. We have a lot of data from deployments, a lot of feedback from clients. Uh, so we were able to use that for uh, kind of this final iteration, which we're working on. So there have been you know, many iterations since back in 2015, 2016. Um, and now we have so much data and just such a, a good foundation um, that we're ready to basically close the loop on the product. So we've been focused on that uh, as kind of the next iteration and then um, really see, you know, 2021 as being the year to scale uh, significantly on the manufacturing front, on the deployment front, and just in general. Yeah, and getting that contract manufacturer too, was that a referral or a contact you had with someone else? I'm curious on that because I know people are curious about the, the factory and how do you actually get these products made? Uh, I'm curious how you went about that. Yeah, for sure. So it was one of our investors who actually put us in touch who uh, has worked with them. So um, so there was actually another group that we worked with uh, who one of our team members uh, was you know in touch with and actually had a relationship with one of their uh, VPs because they worked with them in the past. Um, but, you know, we realized that this group that our investor introduced us to had scale. You know, they do millions of products. They're one of the biggest in the world. Um, they really know what they're doing on, on that front and can grow significantly and can really be our partner for the long term, not just the next year or two, but like forever. Um, so, so yeah, we, we partnered with them uh, basically like in 2018, 2019. Um, but before then, we actually did work with some U.S.-based uh, manufacturing groups that sent us the parts. You know, we got we had suppliers there, and then we actually did the assembly in-house. Uh, so we assembled, I think, a total of like 80 robots in-house first, um, and then you know went from there and said, okay, now we're ready to move to the next phase. And actually, we've learned so much, we can apply those or, or share that knowledge with the CM, uh, so they can take on that assembly process themselves. Yeah, and and with the with the product and how it's advanced and the things you've done with it, and obviously seeing so many app applications, how do you kind of juggle and manage the the short term thinking with we need to execute on X Y Z thing now versus the long term kind of vision for Madebots moving forward? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I would say beforehand it was really difficult, and now we have a really solid COO um, who runs the operations day to day. Uh, make sure that you know trains running on time and uh, or ahead of schedule. The dependencies <laughs> are mapped out. The communication is happening. Tough questions are being asked. Um, so I'd say she is the reason that that is able to uh, prosper because <laughs> you know I'm I am the CEO. I'm, I play that visionary role and uh, and love it and think you know I'm thinking six months ahead, twelve months, five years ahead, right? And uh, but we really do need someone who's just super strong in the operations front, and uh, she's done a tremendous job at really being able to take that on uh, so I can focus on, you know, the future. And with the future then, Micah, what is kind of the big vision for, for Maybot? I think I read somewhere that, you know, that you're starting with hotels, but there's really so many other applications and things you want to do. I'm curious on what you're kind of thinking about from a big picture perspective, long-term. Yeah. So, uh, so in the long term, so I'd say, I guess, you know, short-term is scaling up our, our current unit, right? Which is focused on like vacuum cleaning. Uh, and then after that, we see huge potential, especially given the state of the world right now, for sanitization, disinfecting, wet cleaning, uh, things like that. So we have some really good things in the works on that front. Um, and then essentially our goal is to have a suite of robots that work together. Um, you know, they're, they're different robots, but they can actually communicate and work together. 
Uh, and then the long term, uh, say slightly longer term, um, <laughs> is a humanoid robot. And I think, um, you know, really the the reason for that is uh, there, this world has been created by and for humans. Um, so the, you know, just the, when you think about form factors, there are definitely better form factors like vacuuming. You might not need a humanoid to hold a vacuum, right? That's how humans do it. Uh, but I look at the human body as kind of the ultimate hardware platform that can do so much. Um, and that's where we want to be, right? We're starting with cleaning because it's a, a must-have oxygen problem that you know can't live without cleaning. Uh, but we see big opportunities beyond that in cooking, in other areas in hospitality, mechanical work, uh, and in general. And eventually would love to bring you know something just like Gracie the Robot from the Jetsons to reality. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I read like the inspiration for the name and Rosie was uh, the Jetsons and even someone I had on recently, Peter Pang, um, his company is called Jetson.ai for the Jetsons as well. Uh, nice. It's interesting, <laughs> the, the technology on that. And it's just so fun to think about the applications. And I think it was someone, I don't know if it was Elon Musk or someone talking about like, people think technology or like the future kind of just happens. Like, no, people have to actually build those things and we have yeah. these visions for it. So it's so fun to talk to people like you, people like P Peter, people who are using these technologies to actually build out these visions that, you know, we've seen years and years ago, but then to see it actually coming to life is just incredible. And yeah. with, with you, I want to know, I always, I'm curious about the founders and themselves then like, what is it? typical, I say typical like air quotes now, typical day for you, what time do you wake up, what time you go to bed, like throughout the day, I want to know kind of what a, a, a full day looks like in the life of Micah. Yeah, for sure. That's a funny question. Um, so, or a good question, I guess. So um, in terms of, you know, my day today, it definitely varies, right? That's the quotes you gave. Um, <laughs> but overall, and especially with like COVID, things have changed. But uh, I'd say overall, you know, wake up at like uh, 7 a.m. Um, and basically start the day by getting, doing the hygiene so I can knock that out. So I don't forget to shower and take care of myself. <laughs> yep. Um, and then I have like some weights and, and things I do there. And I do like 120 crunches, uh, in the morning too. And then, uh, and I meditate every morning. Um, so I actually use the Calm app, um, just cause there's some nice good. guided meditations there and nice, uh, to have that set up. Uh, and then from there, like go down and have some breakfast and then, uh, you know, get up and running and just start. We do like a huddle with the leadership team every morning make sure we're on track. If there's any like, you know, key things that we need to talk about or figure out that way it can trickle down to the rest of the team during their huddles. Uh, and then right now I've been focused on financing. I'm very close to closing our series B, which is really exciting, but yeah. it takes a lot of work. So oh, yeah. a lot of my time right now is, uh, either on, on the phone with our attorneys or emailing attorneys, uh, or speaking with existing investors or prospective investors who, uh, need to give us a decision quickly here if they want to come in just because we're, we're very close. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'd say right now. And then, um, and then typically like I need to exert energy, um, or else I can, you know, get anxious and, and have other thoughts in my head. So I, uh, I like to go on bike rides in the evening. Um, I like to go on multiple walks throughout the day and, uh, just get some fresh air, get out of the place a little bit. Um, and then at nighttime, anything from like, you know, reading a book to uh, playing ukulele, which I've been learning throughout COVID nice. um, to uh, potentially just like, you know, playing some video games or, or watching TV. Uh, and I have a girlfriend who lives like five minutes away. So I'm able to spend a lot of time with her and her pup, which is a lot of fun. So we go to like, the park and get outside and she's a huge proponent of walking, which is awesome. That helps kind of force me <laughs> uh, to get out as well. So 
so yeah, no, it's, That's, it's been great. How do you decide in the evening what time to stop work for the day? Do you have a set time? Do you kind of, it depends on the day? Because I always ask entrepreneurs this because you, in theory, can work on your business 24-7. So I'm curious on how you decide. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a good question. So usually what I like to do on Friday, so that's today, so for next week, uh, this evening, I like to plan out my days uh, of like, what do I have to accomplish? And then, of course, stuff will pop up. But like, what are the key goals that I know of today? Uh, and then go from there. So it really depends, right? It fluctuates. Like, you know, there could be a day where I'm done at like 6 p.m. There could be a day that I'm done at like 10.30 or 11 p.m. or even later. So uh, it really just depends on like what is going on. Um, and, you know, to me, it's like I I can't sleep well at night knowing that there's stuff lingering if it's like mm, more pressing. Yeah. Of course, there could be stuff that I need to you know, be OK with like, all right, I'll get to this tomorrow. <laughs> um, but I always say like tomorrow doesn't exist. It's a, it's in our imagination. So like, you know, do stuff today. So uh, so it just depends. But I'd say like when, you know, I can generally tell intuitively of like, OK, I hit what I needed to hit today. This is what I planned. This is what popped up. You know, cover the emails and communication that I needed to. Now I, I could definitely use some time to just chill. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Chill? Yes. Yeah. Such, such a needed activity, especially as a founder. <laughs> to take no, some time totally. away. And, and I mentioned the meetings with the team. Uh, is, are you guys still remote? Or like, how is that kind of the team side of it with being remote or not remote during COVID? How has that gone for you? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we're all remote. We do have a few team members who do have to go to the office. So um, we have a couple of electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, and then even sometimes the software, one or two software engineers has to pop in. Um, so they're super careful, keep their distance, wear the masks, <laughs> uh, and limit it as much as possible. But you know, that it's just needed given what we're doing and um, the fact that we're hardware oriented. So or have a big you know platform that is hardware. Uh, so you know, I'd say overall, though, everybody has been generally working from home. It's been working really well, actually. I think, uh, you know, I think some of us have gotten a little stir crazy, but um, <laughs> find ways to like get a little outing and whatnot. And then, um, you know, we're communicating. It's it's great. We have like a happy hour every Friday, which is really nice. Uh, we do all hands meeting. We have our huddles. Uh, we're communicating through Slack, through video calls, trying to do calls as much as possible um, when we can and, and should, when it makes sense. Um, so I'd say, you know, just it's trying to like keep that communication flow going. Uh, but overall, at least from my perspective, the team has been doing really well. Um, you know, they're just been extremely focused and hardworking and like so impressed by, you know, the dedication everybody has right now. Uh, and it's been tough and it's been a big period of uncertainty, but everyone's just keeping their heads down, working together, still having fun. And I think a big part of that is, uh, again, from my perspective, but I think um, it's just people really love what they're doing, which is so nice. And we've definitely had people on the team who didn't and where there was conflict and issues in the past. But now it's like, wow, every single person on the team is an A-plus player. They're you know executing like crazy. We have really good operations and structure in place now uh, to accommodate this. Um, and you know, it, people can have fun because they're they're really doing what they love. Yeah. And on that same note, as you've grown as a company in you know, the last five years or so, I the, the hiring part of it is so critical. I mean, to get A-plus players in the team, how has that evolved? How has that changed over time to get to build this team now where you feel like you really have a solid team in place? Like, how has that gone? Anything particular that has helped you? Yeah, for sure. So initially it started as like, okay, who do I know? Or who, what are my mentors? Who do they know? Um, you know, that can put me in touch. It's kind of this like network approach. 
uh, which still I think is great. You know, if you can get in touch with, if you have an A plus player who knows another A plus player, that's usually the best way. Um, but then eventually what we started to do is really look at, you know, uh, build out really solid questions and process around uh, the skill set side of things. So especially on the engineering side, we had you know, engineers build that out and you know, do things like an initial screening call, then uh, then a first interview, then like a take home test, then uh, in person or video interview and like go kind of deeper into it. And then I get involved at the end of it. Um, so we focused on that pretty early on and, and hired really well for that. The one thing that I'd say that we didn't look at as as important was like culture, right? Like who do we want to be hiring? What yeah. types of personalities or like what types of people, you know, what about work ethic? What are their values and how do those align with ours? So you know, for the first few years, we didn't even know what our values were. We didn't know how to set values. Like it was just kind of in flux and figuring stuff out. And uh, we worked with a group like essentially executive coaches who helped us really nail down, you know, what our values are. And that's been so helpful because basically one of the big points that they made was those values help inform how you hire and fire. Uh, and if somebody breaks those values, especially continuously, like that's not someone who's sustainable with the company. Um, and when you're looking to hire someone, like coming up with questions that really inform this um, is so important. So, you know, I'd say like those, just having that focus of, yes, they might be a brilliant engineer or brilliant person doing X, Y, or Z, but if they don't have that same value and they won't fit in culturally, uh, then it doesn't matter. Right? They could be the best engineer in the world. It doesn't matter. So it's going to cause issues and, and hold us back as a company. So, um, so yeah, I'd say that has really helped inform that. And then, you know, in terms of like kind of structure, we've, we've, uh, experimented with outside recruiters, external recruiters, which are great, really quick, have a great network, but very expensive. Yeah. Um, and then we've experimented with like in-house contract recruiter, which, uh, worked really well. Um, but a little less in terms of the speed just because of like the network uh, they might have. So, you know, we're, we're looking that into that in the future too. How do we want to approach it? But I think it just, it depends on you know, the company and, and what works best. Yeah. And it's such an important piece of it because to that point of hiring, these are people you're going to work with for years and years to come. It's like, who do you want to be around as you're building this company? Not only their skill sets, but also, yeah, who do you actually want to spend time with and be around in yeah, virtual environment now, but in, in person, a little bit different too, but always something to kind of keep in mind. And you had mentioned early on in the interview about the network of Cornell and the people who've kind of helped you with uh, with your Teal Fellow as well. Have there been any books that have been helpful for you? I always am a big reader. I'm curious, any books that have been kind of helpful as you, on your entrepreneurial journey so far, Micah? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've definitely read a lot of business books and I enjoy them. Um, I think I, I read like one recently, A Trillion Dollar Coach. Um, there's a book called Scaling Up, uh, which Coach gave to you. So that talks about like the Rockefeller habits, um, which, you know, read into that more. And then uh, thinking back, I think, you know, there's there's things like Start With Why, which are less like, you know, specific. This is how you build a company, but really good way to think about the early days. Uh, by Simon Sinek, and then um, and then there's something else that honestly I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was a book that was just like the Bible for terms and uh, in <laughs> investment negotiations. Venture deals, uh, maybe. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, actually. Brad Feld. Yep, exactly. So my, that, mic, my mic is sitting on the book right now. That's why. I that's hilarious. It. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm about. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So those have been great. And then another thing that's been like helpful. I mean, definitely like less practical per se, but more like um, just inspiring. It's been reading autobiographies uh, or biographies. I really like Walter Isaacson, read Steve Jobs, which is really awesome. Uh, ben Franklin, reading about the Wright brothers right now. So I think 
different, but still like inspiring. And, and it's helpful to think through uh, what others have gone through and like realize you're not alone in certain pain points. And, uh, and one of the, one of the best books on that actually was Endurance, is the journey of Shackleton uh, and the people that were essentially going to like the South Pole, um, you know, and, and all that they went through. And like, they totally could have died, you know, a hundred times throughout that journey, but they just had this crazy persistence and crazy endurance. Um, so I think that to me has been really eye-opening too. Like to me, persistence is the most important trait in entrepreneurship. And it doesn't mean there's not other things involved, but like just keeping, you know, continuing to move forward, continuing to see the light ahead uh, and just taking it literally one step at a time and whatever that takes, you know, just one day at a time. Um, but if you just keep moving forward, you will eventually get there. Um, and I think that was a helpful reminder for me. Yeah. And there's so many amazing books and just, I've always told people it's such a, a, a kind of incredible life hack where someone, their whole, their whole career or life could be distilled down. And obviously it's not every detail, but the insights from that and like a couple hundred pages is, is just amazing. I mean, to, yeah. be able to have that. And I just listened to the Johnny Rockefeller book uh, and the audible, audible book is it's very long it's like 30 hours and it's oh, taken wow. a long time it's yeah. taken a long time to get through it all but it's incredible this is like one of the richest people in human history uh the things you accomplish obviously there's a lot of negative um a lot of positive as well but just to hear that perspective of how did this person go about this and you can yeah. from so many different books it's so powerful yeah no absolutely it just paints a very clear picture and um yeah can definitely be inspiring yeah. And Micah, looking back at your career so far, um, even though you're mid, mid 20s now, but you started a long time ago, like launching businesses. Ha have there been any particular lessons or takeaways that you'd like to share with the audience from the years you've had of, of building companies? Yeah. So um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I touched on a couple of things before, like the persistence and then, you know, in terms of the investment side of things. Um, I think really like it's, uh, something else I've learned, which you touched on as well, is just the importance of uh, the people that you surround yourself with, whether it's team members, advisors, mentors, investors, like there's, you know, really it's just so important to really build relationships with people early on um, that you trust and, and want to work with and not settling on that. And I think one thing I've learned is like I did settle before and then it caused a lot of issues and pain um, and letting that drag on. So I think really just making sure that you have you have clear values for yourself, uh, finding the right best team members and, and not settling if, although it seems like someone, you know, might be great in some ways if they're causing issues or you know, there are other things, just moving quickly to really build a network around you that's there to support you and believes in you. Michael, where can people go to learn more about uh, MadeBots and all that you're doing? For sure. So our website's www.madebot.com. Um, and just find more there and Google us and see more, but happy to, uh, if anyone wants to reach out, find us on our website. Awesome. Micah, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.